0: Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. A public visitation is scheduled for tonight and funeral services tomorrow for Frankie Freeman, the longtime civil rights advocate and attorney who passed away a week ago at the age of 101. Over her long life, her impact was significant in St. Louis and nationally, Joining me in studio to remember Mrs. Freeman are James Buford, former CEO and president of the Urban League of St. Louis. Adolphus Pruitt is president of the St. Louis NAACP. And Percy Green is a longtime civil rights activist here in St. Louis. Gentlemen, thank you so much for being with us. Former chairperson of action. Former chairperson of action. Percy is always quick to remind me when I (laughs) fail to (laughs) mention that. Thank you, Percy, for doing so. Again, gents, uh, thanks for being with us. Um, Jim Buford, let me start with you. When What's what's the first thing you think of when you think of Frankie Freeman?
1: I think of a holistic person. I was 15 years old. And my cousin wrote an article every, every week in the St. Louis-Argus, and I was at her house, and Frankie Freeman was her friend, and Ina Boone, the two of them came over. And, You know, I was a little boy. My grandmother would tell me, like grandmothers tell their grandkids, "You're gonna be somebody someday." And uh, I didn't quite know what that meant. And when I was 15, I thought that meant a basketball or a football player or something mm-hmm. like that. But when I set eyes on Frankie Freeman, she had a, a air about her. She had a carriage about her. She, I'd never met anybody like that. And she was very nice and cordial, but I could tell right off the spot she was about business. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't take my eyes off her and I said, I want to be like her someday. I didn't quite know what she did. And then when I got home I asked my grandmother, what does she do? She said, Well, she's a civil rights lawyer and she does things that make people mad, but she's a very strong lady and so I started reading a little bit about and I followed her and followed her. So what I think about when I see Frankie is stature, courage, power, carriage, the way I would want my kids any uh, anybody I know to carry themselves as a leader in the African American community. She was magnanimous. She was holistic,
0: and she was that way right up until the very last the day of very her life. End. Adolphus Pruitt, what is your thought about Frankie Freeman?
2: You know, when when you look at Frankie holistically, it is probably one of the few people who actually resembled her resume. <laughs> What you read and see about her and what you understand about her work and what what she accomplished, it fits directly with her personality and the way she went about taking care of her uh, business, especially when she was representing the uh, NAACP. Uh, there's just no way to replace the type of uh, work she did as attorney on behalf of our branch especially when it comes to dealing with the issues of segregation and public housing no. and, and, and her impact on public education, especially the education of children here in the city of St. Louis. Um, she, she, she fought uh, in the courts uh, to uh, make sure that public education in St. Louis, especially for black children, was, was sufficient and was not a segregated system. And then the turnaround decades, decades later, and to be called back into service to assist with uh, straightening out the public schools and, and to work with uh, Dr. Danforth, I, I, I think it's just a testament that, uh, what they say, wine gets better the older, he gets better with age. Right. <laughs> I think it was a testament to that. Right. Percy Green,
3: your recollection. Well, my recollection is um, she's a well, certainly a personable person. Uh, my experience probably is not uh, the same as uh, these two giants there I'm, I'm sitting here with. But, um,
0: Don't sell um, yourself short,
3: Percy. The but giant uh, the thing about the giant. it, I, um, as a person, as I said before, she was personable, but we're different in terms of a politics. I didn't particularly like her politics. Um, and I had um, so... Um, you know, spoken out about that in the past and whatnot. But here was the thing: the things that st- uh, the, the the two items that stand out, that really uh, stands out for me, is that the McDonald situation uh, in 1959. The uh, she was a member of the uh, Hesburgh U.S. Civil Rights Commission, and um, of course, I kind of questioned as to how she uh, how she was appointed. But the point is that when she was there. Uh, we had a hearing, and uh, I had to testify against uh, the racial discriminatory practices at McDonnell Douglas. This, this was your case that ultimately went to this? No, 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 no. This was oh. just uh, McDonnell Douglas' okay. uh, uh, practice mm-hmm. uh, at, uh, prior to and up to 1959, uh, I think, is when we had this hearing. And uh, she was a uh, counselor for the St. Louis uh she was a general counselor for the St. Louis Housing Authority mm-hmm. at the time, and um, right after doing this testimony, and then of course I think she uh, she ruled in behalf of our testimony against McDonald. Uh, she was terminated a month afterwards mm-hmm. uh, from the St. Louis Housing Authority, and I certainly um, you know sympathized with her in that being I've been, been a victim of such. Uh, Uh, myself uh, many times, but the mere fact um, that she stood her grounds. Of course, Father Hesburgh was here, too, I think, at the time. From Notre Dame. From Notre Dame, yes. And um, uh, both of them jointly supported our position against McDonnell Douglas and whatnot. So that was one. The other is that uh, it's not so so, um, um, flowery, flowery. And that is uh, the, the termination of Fire Chief um, Chief George. Uh, I always felt as if uh, the former Mayor Slay was a racist, and the, fair, the mere fact that uh, that incident of uh, terminating uh, Fire Chief George and also Charles uh, um, calls both on the on the fire department and cases of racial discrimination emerged. And uh, it was even, it was obvious, and yet uh, she supported uh, uh, Chief, I mean, uh, Mayor Slay for mayor. Uh, That that certainly was not, uh, uh, I I often thought about that, and I didn't really understand that. But then I later, after analyzing it historically through the the grassroots at the gateway by uh, Charles Lane, I was able to see some other things that occurred that may have had something to do with her decision-making
1: there. Uh, you, I, Doug, can I add yeah, something to, of that, course. to what Percy said? After that ruling and her citing, uh, taking a stance against McDonnell Douglas, I get this from a good, good authority and people in power during my tenure at the Urban League. She was blacklisted. Yeah. She had extremely difficult time making a living and practicing law. She was punished for that. Uh and even so she held true to her convictions. Whether you agreed with them or not she held true to them. But I, that that startled me because I always thought, you know, she's such an icon now and everyone sings her praises. Mm-hmm. But just like Dr. King, you know, at the time he's now he now a martyr and he's our, he is our true leader. We wouldn't be where we are today without Dr. King, but yet during his tenure, and at the time he was assassinated, he wasn't very popular. You know, and The Black Power Movement was taking over, and the same with Frankie. There's a ebb and flow in her life where mm-hmm. when she took the hard rulings, she suffered for it. She could have been very wealthy. She could have been probably with a big law firm, one of the first, So she could have been a judge uh, at the federal level because she was a protege of Thurgood Marshall and Howard University. She studied under and worked with people at the NAACP Legal Defense Fund and a lot of the icons and stalwarts there. That's where she cut her teeth in D.C. at at Howard. Because when she lived in New York, they wouldn't let her in law school saying that her credits from Hampton University were not acceptable at law schools in New York. So it was when her and Shelby moved to D.C., she was able to get in law school, and that was at the Black University. Yeah.
0: How tough was she, Adolphus Pruitt? She was soft-spoken and and uh, a, a lady, as Percy and, and Jim have said, but she had to be
2: really tough. Absolutely. Not only was she tough, but, you know, I, the other day I was sitting down with Mikhail Ali, who's a Muslim and head of a, one of the activist groups, and, I, and we were talking. And he said, man, I heard about Frankie. He said, Pruitt, let me tell you something. He says, I remember years ago, where the brothers were having an issue with one of their temples, and they had to sue the landlord. And he said they went to black lawyers over and over again, and none of them represented them. said, we're not representing the Muslims. They went to Frankie, and he said Frankie took the case on and they won it. He said they were surprised and shocked that she would represent them when everybody else was telling them, no, we're not going <laughs> to represent the black Muslims, she was just that type of person. She was just that tough. The issue was whether it was for her was right or wrong. And if she felt that it was right and it was the right thing to do, and she had that sort of conviction and she did it, and she didn't care who was on the other side of it. That's town. right. Well, Go ahead.
3: <laughs> well, here, 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 was a something, here was something else I, I noticed. Right after she come out of school, uh, she took the case against the St. Louis uh, Housing Authority, and she won the case. And then after winning the case, the St. Louis Housing Authority hired her as being the general counsel, as well as some other components of the St. Louis Housing uh, Authority. Now, uh, the thing about, in 1957, we had an issue here in the city, and it was pretty much like we had in the past, about changing the charter, wanting to reduce the size of the housing authority, I mean, uh, the alderman, the alderman, um, Board of Aldermen, yes. And then, of course, I mean, uh, at that particular time, it was a big controversy, and then, of course, uh, I decided that she was on, I would not have been on that side. I mean, she supported the uh, the change in reducing the size of uh, the alderman, and I would have been on the side, uh, the opposite side. But of course, I wasn't involved in the movement at that particular time. But just, I'm, I'm just saying that it was something that I just scanned, just want to see the history of how people involved in the movement, people that have recognized, you know, the decisions that was made, and so on and so forth, to try to find out what, it, you know, why aren't those uh, decisions consistent? I mean, I, I find I raised the same question with W. B. Du Bois and. Uh, um, and uh, his decision-making, how, how you know, up and down and so on and so forth. And so I just think that it's, it's most important that certainly you want to give p- people they do, but you want to understand the decision-making, the good, the bad, and the ugly or whatnot. And when I pass on, I'm sure that you're going to find the same thing with myself, but I'm just saying that uh, those were the things that was troubling to me in terms of uh,
2: some of those decisions. And, and, Percy, I'm going to eulogize you. Who? <laughs> <laughs> when you pass on, I'm going to do what you do. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know if that's a warning You're or not. Again, but,
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah, I don't know either. Maybe you to get some idea of what no, he's going to say But, you know, now. none <laughs> of us
3: are perfect. You know, none of us perfect. But then it's, it, it, it's something that about when folks are involved in the movement, it seems like to me that somehow when they become part of the, the establishment, they change, the, 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 the energy level changes or... If they work behind the scenes, I mean, some say you know some you know say that, uh, but very few of us that are on the front line ever see any evidence of working behind the scenes or whatnot. And so that's the thing that I'm saying that there are differences, and many folks that, that that carried on the fight, initiated the fight, did a wonderful job. But then of course, uh, then of course, something changes. It could very well be as a result of the, the nature of their employment. Or what had happened to uh, to her in 1959, being terminated for standing up for what was right? Maybe some of these folks, uh, you know, uh, fear for their employment. Uh, you know, it's, it's, I don't know whether that's uh, that's justifiable. It, it often
0: uh, comes down to economics, yeah. uh, one way or another. I have to take a a, a break. We've. We've uh, talked about uh, her accomplishments and her personality. But before we take the break, let's listen to Frankie Freeman, as she appeared on this program uh, some time ago, talking about what she thought was her greatest accomplishment. Okay.
4: Well, I think I would probably, if I was going to identify one of the cases, it would be the case that ended segregation in public housing. However, I also am honored to have been had the opportunity to serve as a commissioner of the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights, and also under the Carter administration as the first inspector general of the Community Services Administration. But to say, I believe that probably the, the, the case that ended segregation in public housing...
0: The late Frankie Freeman, as she appeared on one of these programs uh, some years ago. We'll continue our conversation, our recollections and remembrances of Frankie Freeman in just a moment. But first, we will take this break. My guests in studio are James Buford, Ad- Adolphus Pruitt, and Percy Green. Back in a moment. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Oh, dear- And welcome back, as we remember the late Frankie Freeman with uh, Jim Buford, former CEO and president of the Urban League of St. Louis, Adolphus Pruitt, president of St. Louis NAACP, and Percy Green, who was former chairman of ACTION, the Action Committee to Improve Opportunities for Nemo. Well, Got it right this well time? very good.
1: Right.
0: <laughs> we just heard uh, Frankie Freeman before the break talking about her uh, accomplishments as she saw them. And as a member of the U.S. Civil Rights Commission, I'm just wondering how much... How much influence did that have on St. Louis, having a St. Louisian on that commission? Jim, you know that had to be helpful to uh, this community, or
3: was it? Well, it was. It, it had to be helpful, otherwise she would not have been terminated. The mere fact that she spoke out and supported um, uh, the positions that we uh, levied against uh, McDonnell Douglas and Chrysler, Chrysler uh, Auto uh, Company, was here at the time, and... Um, I had a group from there, the black employees of uh, Chrysler, uh, testified also. And so uh, the mere fact that the Globe Democrat and uh, the McDonald, uh, uh powers, as well as civic progress types and whatnot, levied uh, against her, that, that caused her to lose her job. So uh, she was certainly effective uh, as it relates to that. But then at the same time, um, uh, before that now, uh, Jefferson Bank, that was in 63. Now, she did not support uh, Jefferson Bank. Uh, as a matter of fact, I mean, when uh, Lyndon Johnson came here uh, and many of us was arrested out there at the park, uh, I believe this was in 64, um, at, it was Lyndon Johnson, I think, at that particular time, uh, her, uh, she and he uh, met at the uh, Chase Park Plaza, uh, hotel at the time that we was picketing there and was arrested. And then, of course, after that, was uh, he appointed her to the uh, uh, U.S. Uh, uh, Commission
1: on Civil Commission Rights. On Civil Rights yes. Right, right.
3: Jim, she, she,
1: she – Well, I say she was holistic, she impacted in so many areas. As Percy referenced earlier, the uh, – uh, Davis versus uh, St. Louis Housing Authority, that she referenced in her tape, was a big thing. Her impact on education as Adolphus uh, referenced was, you know, when she was responsible, her and Dr. Danford, for setting up the special school board as well as monitoring, I served on that committee. The primary role initially was to monitor the desegregation settlement between the NACP, the other 18, 19 litigants, and make sure that the judge's ruling was carried out to the letter. And that was our role as a committee. So we met monthly with various school districts and what have you, the the plaintiffs in the case. And then that kind of morphed into a committee to take a look at the dysfunction among the board at the public schools, which led to be the special uh, advisory board. So she impacted education. When I worked for – I came back to St. Louis in 81. I immediately went to Frankie and asked her to join my board. Well, I I'm sorry, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. In 1981, I was working for Governor Bond, running a program called Jobs for Missouri Graduates, but I also was being used as a liaison to the African-American community. I had been in Washington, D.C. for five years. I had been out of touch. And when I was here, I wasn't a leader per se. I was working in the private sector. So I called upon her to ask her if she would roll me out, if you will, to the black community, you know, the ministers, Um The other civil rights leaders like Reverend DeClue and those people involved in the NACP, Bill Dothit. That's how I met Mr. Dothit through uh, Frankie Freeman. And if Frankie introduced the religious leaders, if Frankie introduced you, you had a high level of credibility already if she endorsed you. And then the only way you messed that up was personally you had to mess it up. So she laid the groundwork for me. And then when I took over the Urban League and was offered the job, I went to Frankie and I said, look, I'm going to take this job. But the condition is the Urban League has been, I felt, somewhat passive doing the Jefferson Bank demonstrations, doing a lot of the civil rights things that were going on, the climbing of the arch the did, action, and what have you. I wanted the Urban League to be more advocacy-oriented. The Urban League's mantle was social services as well as civil rights, second oldest civil rights organization to the NAACP. And she said, of course, that's the only way you take it. And then when I took the job, I asked her to join my board because I had no really civil rights, and I had limited lawyers on my board, and most of them had nothing to do with civil rights. So during the entire tenure, my 28 and a half years at the Urban League, everything I did, shut down Highway 70. Uh, with joining Johnny Scott and the NACP in East St. Louis over no African-Americans being at any level in the Belleville government. The Million Man March, which the National Urban League opposed, which she encouraged me to do. Any comments I made on civil rights, I took her advice. Sometimes they were too tempered. She was conservative in that way. You know, her theory of civil rights was, you know, Thurgood Marshall and the NACP Legal Defense Fund solve the problems through law, and then they stay solved. Yeah. Um, and and that was her theory. So when I would get angry and upset about something, she would say, never get angry, get even. And keep, not with a vendetta, but get even through the courts. Her impact on the urban, the entire t- she was my first African-American woman. To chair the board the first woman to chair the board of the urban league and she stayed on emeritus because that there is no tenure once you're the chairman of the board till the very end when she was you know until i stayed on i would always call frankie and ask for her opinion even if i didn't have an opinion and no one was asking me in case they would i would ask her where are you on this Mm -hmm. like percy sometimes i agreed Sometimes I thought it was a little too soft. But Frankie Freeman guided me for 28 years. So her impact on the Urban League was phenomenal during my era and made us more in terms with the mission civil rights, and social services.
0: I would like to direct our audience to our website, stlpublicradio.org, for a wonderful conversation. One of the best uh, I've ever heard between Frankie Freeman and our friend Percy Green over here discussing the rule of law versus civil disobedience.
3: It's a wonderful conversation. That's right, because you see, I was on the other side. Disrupt, disrupt, disrupt. That's how you make, make things happen and whatnot, you know. And the thing about it is, of course... Most lawyers, I mean, uh, even though some of my best friends are lawyers, <laughs> I mean, they have to, they were the people that kept me out of jail. And of course, uh, I had lawyers that had to argue the case of sure. Green versus McDonald that made it possible to even prove racial discrimination. Because at that particular time, Lewis Gildon was an associate okay. of mine. Uh, he was the one that argued the case uh, to the Supreme Court. And then Charlie Oldham, he found, uh, he, uh, he, uh, found, uh, Uh, He argued the case the second time it went up to the Supreme Court. But the point I'm saying is this. We differ in philosophy as well because, you see, if you depend upon the law in total, you have to also think – have to um, be cognizant of no sooner than you have a law passed in your favor, the opposite – the other side is looking for loopholes and ways to counter that. And so, therefore – uh, I could not get on board uh, with that type of philosophy. And so that's why I had to uh, continue to carry on civil disobedience and carry on the, the disruption in terms of uh, uh, letting those folks know on the other side that just because we had a law in our favor, uh, we had to still pursue all kinds of inklings of racial discrimination. One thing I want to
1: say uh, Reverend Jesse Jesse Jackson has a phrase that I think defines the civil rights movement. There are tree shakers and there are jelly makers. Mm -hmm. The tree shakers shake the fruit off the tree. Someone comes along and picks up the fruit and turns it into jelly. Mm -hmm. That's the civil rights movement. There's Percy Green and the activists – and they're the Frankie Muse Freemans who come, and they're the jelly makers. Percy and them disrupt and knock the fruit off the tree and make change, and lawyers turn change into law. But you need both of them to make you the jelly. Have them. Right. There's right. nothing monolithic about no, right. the Civil Rights yeah. Movement. But,
2: but in office. Let's, let's remember uh, just a couple of things, though, because when we talk about Frankie and we talk about the Civil Rights Commission, and actually, Percy, when uh, Johnson came here to meet with her, it was because he called— and he asked the servant. She first said no. And he came to convince her. He he, he he wanted her, and 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 four presidents after him saw the same value and reappointed her. But the the one thing that was unique, though, and well, I like to respond to that. Yeah, also. Yeah, but one thing that was unique, and I never forget. She talks about when the commission was meeting somewhere, and they were supposed to go out and meet at a church and do something and there was That was in Mississippi. Yeah, and there was some stuff going on and they put uh, was the two, burnt two church. dangers. Yeah, they said it was too dangerous and she said they wouldn't want her to go. She got a call. She went anyway. Mm-hmm. That was just the type of person Frankie was. The the other thing, more importantly, is that she had a she had a quiet diplomacy also. That there are many, many, many instances where issues that were critical to the African American community here in this city and certain people had to be moved, and Frankie would make the call. She didn't make a bunch of noise about it. She didn't televise it, but she would make the call and say that, I think this is the right thing to do. This is what you need to do. And they would move, well, I and they moved. Well, I certainly
3: wish she had made that call <laughs> to Slade in order to have uh, Chief George uh, well, remain as a fire chief. Well, she made some, uh, But the thing about it is I'm just saying that— uh, um, the decisions, uh, the dis- <laughs> I think, basically these decisions, and I seen too many, I see too many uh, times that this happened. See, there are all kinds of other issues that I think. Let's say, for instance, the Board of Education. You see, not only I'm a strong supporter of civil disobedience and um, uh, and the kind, but I'm also I support um, uh, uh, organized labor. Unions, the working class, you see. And so consequently, uh, those are philosophical differences and whatnot. And I think that you have, when you have people in responsible position, you would like for them to speak out more in behalf of the working class. And, the, and, 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 and if this is only reserved, uh, you know, when a person in a responsible position and they always speak out in behalf of the establishment rather than the people uh, – that are fighting for uh, the causes fighting for cause like you take for instance with the uh, the board of education I'm a, I was on the opposite side of her position on that and uh, uh, danforth and, I, and 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 I just think that um, those the the, um, uh, the elected board uh, was 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 doing a decent job in as much as we changed the board by 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 virtue of voting. <clears throat> And the mere fact that she supported Slay and the other side for this appointed board, I mean, the only way, the, the only place that that happens is when you have predominantly black, uh, predominantly black communities, that they would take the power from the elected board and put it in the hands. Of, uh, of, you know, the white
1: establishment. Now, well, she I, also I, made an impact education in her early days with Bruton versus the Board of Education. Yeah, absolutely. That was at the time when schools were segregated and all African-American school students went to Booker T. Washington Technical School, Washington Tech. The white students went to Hadley Tech. So, obviously, at, 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 at Washington Tech, the curriculum wasn't as stringent and what have you. So there were some classes that were offered at Hadley that uh, black students – there was a proposal for black students to go over to Hadley, and they didn't want to do The public schools didn't want to do that. So she filed suit, Bruton versus the Board of Education, and won, and allowing the black students to go to Hadley to take these certain courses. Rather than bring the courses to Washington Tech, they had the students go there. And that worked for one year, and then after that, the public schools closed Hadley Tech.
0: Our, our time is beginning to to wind down. I'd like to get an impression from each of you in the context of our discussion of Frankie Freeman. As to where – I'll start with you, Adolphus. Where are we now in this, in this whole struggle that we've been talking about that has so many different facets?
2: You know, unfortunately, with the last election, both in uh, – at the White House and in state government, uh, there is an atmosphere in which uh, folk openly, openly, trying to uh, turn back the um, the clock and remove some of the gains and the rights that uh, African Americans have uh, have secured over the years. Uh, fortunately, uh, a lot of it is is talk at this point in time. There's not much legislation that's been overturned. There's not much of anything that is happening but but, but it's on the horizon. And when you know and you know when we talk about uh folk having dual positions or, or changing, you know, my, my good friend Percy talked about labor, but it was Labor who primarily flipped the script and came out and voted overwhelmingly in support of uh, both uh, Donald Trump and Governor Greitens, and 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 those are the same folks who said that hey they care about civil rights and black folks. So sometimes people had to had to decide, you know, where they're going to be on the issue one way or the other. Well, you have some yeah. sellouts in uh,
3: in labor as well. So you
2: have you some. Uncle in his last so you have
3: some Uncle Toms there in uh, labor as well. I mean, am saying labor overall is uh, is a good thing. But I'm sorry. Uh,
1: the I think we're. I, I, I was in Washington, D.C. for the inauguration of Barack Obama. And I was, uh, my grandson was born on that day, but I was in D.C. So I thought we had reached a pinnacle. Not We still had a long way to go, but the election of a black man in the White House, all the work of the Frankie Freemans and those before her and during her time was seeing some fruit. I think now we're living in a Barack Obama backlash. I think, you know, we can blame Trump, but Trump was it's the Trump that he ran. The way he ran, he didn't hold back. He, he make America white again. Well, he said make America great, but black folk knew and other folk knew, brown folk, Yellow folk that yeah, that was, made, make it white yeah, white again. So kidding. he isn't hiding anything. So I blame the body politic, which means I blame people. And I think a lot of people felt a black man in the White House was too much power, and they're gaining, and they're taking our jobs. So I think where we are today, you know, I was on a on a. Uh, a committee, uh, I'm sorry, uh, on Martin Luther King's birthday 21 years ago, I was on KMOX Radio with Reverend Joseph Lowry. He was in Atlanta talking about Dr. King. And Bob Hardy, may he rest in peace, asked Joe, Reverend Lowry, where are we at today in civil rights? And Joe Lowry said, Reverend Lowry said, uh, black folks are sick of racism. And white folks are sick of black folks. Mm. I think we're getting to that now where black folks just white folks just think black folks got too much power and brown folks. And we don't want no immigrants. We don't want nobody but people from Norway. And Trump carries that mantle. So I think yeah. we're taking giant steps back and all I can say is keep hope alive that maybe two steps back will make three steps forward. Well,
3: I, I would like to see. I think we're at a place now where the, uh, the leadership has to step up to the plate and be consistent. Uh, that, and I'm saying that about uh, the politics now, you know, and especially uh, I like what I see in uh, Bruce Franks as being consistent. Just because he's elected to a so-called responsible position, that doesn't stop him from— carrying on uh, uh, the struggle that he was carrying on. See, the point I'm making is that racism doesn't stop because you win a particular battle. There's the war is what you want to uh, uh, win, and that is, has to be consistent. And with him maintaining civil disobedience, many of the other, it's enough racism that is going on on a day-to-day basis that all of the uh, black uh, uh, elected officials as well as fair-minded whites should be in the street protesting, raising hail or whatnot, you know, in order to neutralize uh, racism.
0: Let's give uh, Frankie Freeman the last word on that. We have a clip here uh, in which she was asked the same question, and she remains uh, optimistic uh, up until uh, close to the time that she passed away. Let's listen.
4: Well, I can't spend time being disappointed. I think what <laughs> we all need to do is we all need to work for more diversity and recognize the value of each of us. And do something to help the people who need help. Do more. There are organizations who are working very hard, there are companies that are doing a lot, but still, individuals, we need to do more.
0: The late Frankie Freeman. There'll be visitation tonight at the Missouri History Museum, funeral services tomorrow. Gentlemen, thanks so much for being with us. Uh, uh, it's an interesting conversation and probably a difficult one for those of you who knew Frankie Freeman well, but I want right. to thank you. Brucey Green, great to see you. Jim Buford, always wonderful to see you as well. And Adolphus Pruitt, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.